0: Good morning. It is very good to be back among all of you in this space. So thanks for inviting us. (laughs) My name is Nicole Erickson. And today I'm here with my husband, Steve, and our two children, our daughter, Eastland, and our son, Ref. They are upstairs in the nursery. Um, We are service workers with Mennonite Central Committee. We are from here in Lancaster City. And we are now serving in Eola, Kentucky with the program Sharing with Appalachian People, or SWAP. We left East Chestnut Street to start our service term in early May of this year, so it's been about five months since we've been back. Um, Today I would just like to share with you a little bit about the mission of MCC and our program in Appalachia. Um, Many of you are very acquainted with MCC, so any additions or suggestions can be made after the service if, if I miss anything. Mennonite Central Committee, a worldwide ministry of Anabaptist churches, shares God's love and compassion for all in the name of Christ by responding to basic human needs and working for peace and justice. MCC envisions communities worldwide in right relationship with God, one another, and creation. For more than 90 years, Mennonite Central Committee has shared God's love and compassion for all in the name of Christ. With your support, We meet the basic human needs and work for peace and justice in some 60 countries around the world. On this map, the countries where MCC works are represented by the dark green coloration, (laughs) but not yet. Okay. (laughs) Um, The ministry of MCC is described by this tagline, Relief, Development, and Peace in the Name of Christ. Although MCC is active in peace and reconciliation throughout North America, SWAP is the only domestic service program of its type. There we go. (laughs) So, um, our post is located in the small rural community of Eola, Kentucky. On the map, you'll see that marked by the red dot to the left of the map. We're in the heart of Appalachian Mountains with black bear, elk, white-tailed deer, coyotes, turkeys, and timber rattlesnakes among the common wildlife present. (laughs) I see my father-in-law like, oh no. (laughs) Many people who live in this area have lived in the same piece of land for generations. Coal mining and logging are major industries in this region and have a a noticeable impact on the landscape and the economy. Our closest metropolitan area is Johnson City, Tennessee, which is about two and a quarter hour away from where we live. As you may be able to tell by looking at this map, Eastern Kentucky is not a place that you would end up by accident. It's not really on the way to anywhere, so unless that is your destination, you will probably not end up there. Much of Appalachia is this way and such it has become America's forgotten region. So let's take a brief look um, at how MCC found itself in Appalachia. So you cannot talk about historical or modern southern Appalachia without talking about coal mining. For over 100 years the economy of this region has been riding the roller coaster of boom and bust cycles in this industry much of the current economic situation in the region is inextricably linked to the vibrancy of the coal market. The scenery, water quality, and public health have been impacted by the practices surrounding the extraction of coal. The government and public sectors including schools, hospitals have been influenced by the interest of the coal industry. It is not surprising, therefore, to note that the early stages of MCC's involvement in Southern Appalachia have been a direct link to the coal industry. In October of 1962, the United Mine Workers of America announced that they were closing four of the 10 hospitals and then later they announced that they were closing the other six. The United Mine Workers of America offered the hospitals for sale to the local communities. The hospitals had been built by the UMWA in 1954 and they were located in Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia and Western Virginia and they were the major hospitals in the area and their closing would be disastrous in terms of the medical care, medical care for the local people the united the united presbyterian church usa stepped in to save the hospitals they established a nonprofit corporation the appalachian regional hospitals and secured funds to buy the hospitals but during the Transition, many of the medical personnel left the hospitals, and there was not enough local medically trained per- personnel to fill the vacancies. It was at this time that MCC became involved in Southern Appalachia by supplying volunteer nurses and doctors to the Presbyterian run hospitals. Since that time, MCC has provided hundreds of volunteers who focus not only in healthcare, but education, community service, agriculture, and housing. Our program that we work for is the only remaining outreach in MCC to Appalachia at this present time. We are focusing on home repair with the intent to address the issues of substandard housing and making houses safe, warm, and dry. So SWAP is our program and that is sharing with Appalachian people. And SWAP is a program of MCC that falls under the Great Lakes region, SWAP provides home repair to those in need of a safe, warm, and dry home. It provides an opportunity for service and spiritual growth for volunteers. SWAP connects people who come to serve with homeowners who are in need of improvement to substandard housing. Throughout the year, but especially in the summer, we host volunteer groups of all demographics for week-long mission trips. We do not require that participants be skilled laborers. Rather, the only prerequisite is an attitude of service. So all of you are welcome. (laughs) As location coordinators, Steve and I provide the lodging, meals, and evening devotionals and educational sessions where we present issues concerning Appalachia and generational poverty. We also line up all the work projects with homeowners, supply all the materials, and provide construction guidance so that our groups can get right to work. Surely a mission trip is about what you give, but let's look at what you get from a weekless swap. You get relationships. Here a group of volunteers pose with homeowner Miss Elsie, who just got a new roof on her trailer. You get new skills. Here a volunteer operates a reciprocating saw while building a wheelchair ramp off the camper trailer where Mr. Hank recently moved in. You get proof that you care. These two volunteers are covered with drywall dust They were doing finished work and completing a room addition to a trailer for Miss Elizabeth and her three children. You get a place to lay your head. These guys took a quick cat nap on the job site, working in construction in the heat of the summer can really take it out of you. You also get time for reflection. Here volunteers consider their experiences that they have encountered during their week in Kentucky. And also you get a sense of achievement. These two were part of a group of volunteers who finished building a pool barn over the top of a camper trailer where Miss Rachel lived. The trailer had a roof with so many leaks that we decided to build a freestanding one over top of her trailer. So this is ECHO, EOLA Christian Community Outreach, and uh, it's our primary partner organization. SWAP and ECHO have been close partners since the founding about 10 years ago. The building pictured is where we host our volunteer groups. So during the summer swap season, we use um, two bunk rooms, the kitchen and dining room, as well as an apartment for our summer staff. And this building is a constant hive of activity, and the community volunteers who work there often adapt the space to suit a variety of ministries, such as medical clinics, prison ministry outreach, a clown ministry, and many others. Echo provides a variety of services to the community. The director, Brenda Gross, operates a thrift store, a food pantry, a meeting room at this facility. Echo often often acts as a hub in this small community, providing household items to burnout victims or food relief to needy families.
1: Okay. So that's a little bit of an introduction on what we do day to day and why we're there. Um, I'm gonna kind of spin off a little bit onto another topic here. So mountaintop removal. The very fact that uh, this phrase brings an image to mind and is understood and is accepted as, as something that is possible can boggle the mind. It's a little bit to me like the moon landing. I'm one who's interested in big things when I have the opportunity, I like to watch television programs like Modern Marvels or Mega Machines, which showcase the engineering achievements and complex systems. Uh, World's Toughest Fixes is another show. It outlines the processes need to repair machines like uh, and structures which are nearing the top end of our uh, complexity and things that we build in this world. How does somebody change a valve in the Alaskan pipeline without igniting the petroleum vapor and you know, creating a crater the size of Lancaster County. (laughs) This show explains that. How does one change a propeller blade on one of the world's biggest Freightliner ships without dropping that hunk of steel to the ocean floor? These are the kind of questions that are answered on that show. So I like to sit back and appreciate that scope and complexity. But even though I take an interest in these subjects, I'm still in utter awe of the scope of mountaintop removal mining. I know how it can be done. It's done with big machines like the Cat 993 loader which can pick up 30 tons per bucket load or it's done with high wall mining rigs like the HW300 which drills uh, laterally into the mountainside a thousand feet and uh, extracts coal on a conveyor belt of equal length. At its least complex it's done with dynamite which is simply cracking the rock and moving it around. But in its full reality, it's the alteration of an entire landscape, one which is only barely reminiscent to its previous state. If in our waking lives and their detail and richness are our reality, then what is left when mountaintop removal is complete is like an unfinished nightmare, lacking in the definition and vitality which was there before. It's astounding to see eastern mountains transformed from steep wooded hillsides into tumble-down buttes similar to those that you'd see in Colorado or Utah. Mountaintop removal is all over the place in Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky, and I'm not here to debate the warrants of this type of mineral extraction. There are cases to be made for and against such a controversial industrial method, but what I am here to discuss is restoration. Before mining work is begun, before permits are even issued, a reclamation plan is put into place for the land. The EPA, or the Bureau of Surface Mining, approves this plan and secures a bond from the mining company for the full amount of the cost of the reclamation. This bond is not repaid to the mining company for up to 10 years after completion of the reclamation. The EPA wants to make sure that the land is put back the way they want it. But this doesn't mean that it looks like what it did before they were started. It doesn't guarantee the rich biodiversity of the land, which still may take many generations to become reestablished, and in some cases it may never return. In the 1970s, the federal government established a mandate that mining companies reclaim the land which they work. But who has placed such an imperative for the people who live around these lands? Appalachia was and is still our forgotten region in the United States. By all measures, all metrics, this region is being left behind. And there's no centralized plan for restoration of this population to mainstream America. Now like you, I don't expect the federal government to solve or even be able to identify um, all the major problems facing our country. Oftentimes this is where churches and nonprofit groups step in. This is caring people and organizations doing what they see is necessary to make small dents in the problems which they recognize. SWAP works to restore the homes of Appalachian people. For the most part we don't build new houses from the ground up. We don't approach a piece of land and say that our plan is to level the ground, lay a septic system, run electricity, build a foundation and erect a house uh, which will last for four generations. Instead we approach the existing home, problems and all, and do what we can to make it more livable to make it more safe, more warm, and more dry. This approach is not complete or sustainable. Some houses will require work year after year. Some houses might be abandoned because of family or personal issues, even after our improvements are completed. On the mortal scale, the work of restoration is never any kind of guarantee of success. If you need physical proof and guarantees, then you're in the wrong business. But the process of restoration doesn't stop with the work that's done on these houses. It continues with the relationships which are built between the volunteers and the homeowners. These relationships can also be restorative, as relationships always work both ways. We have witnessed volunteers who are moved by their faith and the resilience of the mountain people who they serve. I know that the group from Harvest Fellowship Christian Harvest Christian Fellowship in Reinholds will always remember the reply from Miss Lois when they greeted her each morning. Walking into her house, which was modest by any standard and badly in need of repair, a volunteer would ask, how are you doing today, Mrs. Lois? And her standard reply, honey, I am blessed, richly blessed. These kinds of statements imprint themselves onto the minds of the volunteers and restore their desire to serve and carry out future work in the name of Christ. In the same way, we know that restoration is taking place in the lives of the homeowners for whom we work. Ms. Darlene had placed an application for work to be done on the front porch of her trailer. The porch was falling down and Miss Darlene had been using an aluminum stepladder to get inside, in and out of her trailer. And she had significant rot in the floors and around the leaking windows in the trailer. This is all clearly written in her application. But there was another problem which wasn't even mentioned in her application, which proved to be the most life-defining for her. Six months previous to our visit, um, the water heater in Miss Darlene's trailer had sprung a leak. It began flooding the closet floor where it sat. And Miss Darlene was worried that this continued leak would completely destroy her trailer. So, lacking the resources to fix this leak, she crawled under the trailer and shut off the main water supply. This, of course, stopped the leak, but now she had no running water. For six months she resorted to collecting water from the roof of her trailer for washing dishes and flushing the commode. For drinking water she would drive to her sister's house and fill gallon jugs. SWAP Swap came and was able to replace the water heater and restore indoor plumbing to this trailer. When I checked back with Miss Darlene at the end of the summer to make sure that all the SWAP repairs were still in good standing, she remarked how much of a difference this work had made in her life. She mentioned that she had been in literal despair. She didn't have enough money to fix these mounting repairs. It looked like she never would. As she considered her position in life, she only, began, she only saw dead ends, only hardship and problems and depression. It was God's restoration at work when we visited Dar- Miss Darlene. Her water heater wasn't even listed on her application, but God prompted that conversation during our initial visit, which even allowed us to know that this problem existed. For us, it was an easy fix. We can all praise God that this topic was even discussed. It's our main mission with SWAP to restore homes to a state that is safe, warm, and dry. Then our secondary mission to create an atmosphere where volunteers can be spiritually renewed through service, which is restorative to someone else. It's quite an effective cycle. The SWAP program allows participants to focus on spiritual rejuvenation as they honor the call from John, 1 John How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. The pictures on the previous slide show the juxtaposition of the needs in the Appalachian region. The pictures on the left are the landscape behind our home, the unnamed mountain in the center, of the picture on the top is seen in its natural state. And below, uh, you can see a picture which is taken less than 10 years later. You can see the effects of the mining on the face of this mountain. Someday this site will be reclaimed. The original contour of the mountain will be replaced with cobble-sized rocks and certain hardy species will be planted along the slopes. Other species will move in and establish themselves and eastern Kentucky will be left with whatever results, whether it be a viable habitat or a towering eyesore. The pictures on the right represent another type of juxtaposition. In the top picture, we see Mr. Hank's fifth-wheel trailer. Mr. Hank recently moved into this trailer when he was told by nursing home administration that he could no longer live alongside his ailing wife. He purchased this small trailer, which many other people in our country would use for occasional recreation. Of course, there were small touches still needed to make this trailer a home. The underpinning which you see pictured here will help keep the pipes from freezing and help keep snakes and rodents from taking up residence underfoot. Mr. Hank was having trouble using the steep stairs to go in and out of the trailer. A group of volunteers pictured in the lower picture there, posing alongside of Mr. Hank, were able to construct a new ramp which was sufficient for Mr. Hank to use his walker going up and down and in and out of the trailer. This ramp will provide mobility to Mr. Hank, which will in turn reinforce his dignity. Both sets of pictures represent various stages of restoration. In the top left, we see a land presumably not in need of restoration. Below, it is hard to see anything but the need for reclamation. On the right, we see a home and a homeowner in need of restoration. Below that, we see a completed act of of the restorative process. And again, I do need to repeat that we're not, uh, we're not in Kentucky to provide commentary on the activities of mining operations, but with such potent images, literally right in our backyard, it's hard to not try to pay them some mind. So, let's look at a summary again of the res- restoration work that we're doing in Appalachia. We are restoring homes in order to make them safe, warm, and dry. We are restoring attitudes of service in volunteers by providing an environment in which they can take a spiritual vacation. And we are restoring community through our off-season development work. So thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. Our service term with MCC is from May of this year until August of 2015, and we'd be happy to share more about our interest in Appalachia with you after the service. If you'd like to stay connected or learn more about the restoration which is taking place in Appalachia, I encourage you to uh, follow us on Facebook or check out our website. And for anybody wishing to support this ministry more directly, we have a material needs list which outlines uh, materials that we use during the summer for home repair. Thank you.